Well, 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 here we are. Look where wine has taken you back to. The fastest growing wine podcast and the fastest growing places and travel podcast in the nation. This is where wine takes you, where we celebrate the stories behind the bottles and more importantly, the people behind this incredible world-class wine country, Paso Robles. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. A little bit about me. I'm a radio broadcaster here on the Central Coast in Slow County. I've been telling these stories of wine here for the past 10 years on the radio show The Cork Dorks on the Crush 92.5 locally. And I've been working with the team at Paso Wine on a variety of things over the last 10 years. It was one of the last events we did in March of 2020 when Joel Peterson who is the executive director of Paso Wine and the executive producer of this podcast, and I started really putting our heads together to make something happen. And since it has, we have been overwhelmed with the traction, the kind words from the brothers and sisters in the wine industry here, hospitality industry, but more importantly, you. So thank you. This is episode number 12, and it's going to be one for the books for sure. Before I tell you about it, don't forget to check out past episodes. They are still just as timely, great, candid, fun, very real conversations with some of the best Paso has to offer. And only 12 episodes in, it's not too late to catch up on past ones. Lots of great feedback on the last episode where we had Russell and Valia Frome of Herman Story Wines and Desperata. You cannot get more real than these folks. So many laughs, so many like, did that just happen? Did they just say that? Some great comments on that episode, so please go run it up and check it out. Also getting a lot of great feedback in my DMs, people coming up to me in Paso. I had a person uh, visiting, found out it was me in the restaurant. They're like, oh, we love the podcast. We're visiting from da-da-da-da. So really, really neat to see. So thank you for sharing where wine takes you, both figuratively and literally. And we love when you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast as well. It really helps. Please share with your friends. Copy that link. If you're listening, you can literally hit that little square. Text a few friends. Let them know what's up. Let them know that you are the you found it first. Share the podcast and claim you were on it way back when. But when you do rate, review, and subscribe, those are all uniquely important. So please, if you can, if you have time, it would mean a lot. Love this comment from Gregory Becker, Esquire. Oh, I like that. He says, the wine in Paso has increased in quality over the recent years, thanks in part to the Dows, both Justins, Eberly, Jensen, Anthony DeLuca at Ecluse and the Austin Hope family, to name just a few. As good as the wine is already, Adam's passion, professionalism, and experience actually provides such amazing insight that I find myself enjoying the wines of Paso more and more. Adam, you are not a winemaker, but you make the experience better. Outstanding work. Well, Gregor, I cannot even tell you how much that makes my day. Thank you so much for that. And with that, let's get right into today's episode. You know, in Paso, you could taste at a legendary place, a place that has had its roots here since the 80s, by all accounts, a Paso pioneer that helped put the area on the map, a place where the already great wine is still getting better and get a great experience. In the same way, you could find a brand that's maybe been around for a couple of years, but the hustle, the quality, the personality still fits all the great tenets of what we love here about Paso wine country. So today, I found you both of those. Justin Winery. I mean, Justin is a brand that has been around in Paso since the early 80s. They have unquestionably elevated this area in recognition as well. To get this story, I had to go to the founder himself, Justin himself. We'll talk about, one, how his sweater game is about as strong as anyone I've ever seen besides Mr. Rogers. Talk about the drive, what the drive was like to Justin Winery back in the day in the 80s when he was the only one out there. Also, we'll talk about the birth of the beast, Justin Isosceles. And I, for some reason, remembered in high school geometry, an Isosceles triangle, and I thought, well, I wonder if you could trademark that. Called up my trademark attorney, and he said, if you want to, you could do it. So, voila. Isosceles was born. I couldn't even spell it. Yeah. (laughs) I just learned to it as I was making my notes. Uh, Siri had to correct me. It's such a special wine, though. It's so smooth. It's so sexy. And it is such a great calling card and has been for decades for Paso. Well, it has. It's uh, earned its share of accolades in the the wine world. uh, I I like to think that I helped. uh, I'm just one of many. 
get uh, Pastor Robles to where we are today and enjoy the notoriety and the, the acknowledged quality that all of us are, are producing here. You know, somebody has to go first or be a pioneer in the early days, and um, I, I guess I didn't know enough not to be one. So I like the way he puts that, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you because you know when a brand gets big, a lot of changes are made. I don't know. I just wanted to keep it OG, talk story, talk the early years, talk about the why, the how, and Justin Baldwin will do just that. Before that conversation, I'm proud to bring you another brand on the opposite side of that coin. I want to bring you a new player in town, someone new in the mix, and that's Top Winery. I was introduced to these guys a couple years ago, and right off the bat, I could tell there was something special about Stanley and Elena of Top Winery. Then when you taste the wine, oh, you know. You know all too well these are people to watch and closely. Where did wine take them? Well, I'll tell you where it took them from. It took them from their jobs and their life in Los Angeles. They picked up and literally made a lifestyle switch and became maybe Paso's most talked about new brand. Paso's newest little power couple, Elena Martinez, handles the business and her husband, Stanley Barrios, handles the winemaking. So I show up to their new facility. It's an industrial building on the east side of Paso and prepare to sit down with Elena. Stanley's a little shy. I see Stanley, though, meeting with acclaimed Paso grape grower Bill Gibbs. So Bill has G2 Vineyards. This is a site made famous by Saxon, and others have made insane wine from these vineyards, like Ledge, like Turtle Rock, and now Top Winery. It was cool to meet Bill like this, and he was having a meeting with Stanley that we're talking some business. But it's cool to get a little insight into that side of things, you know, winemaker, talking grape grower, talking harvest. It's, it's fascinating to me, and it got me thinking, we need to do a whole show on grape growers. I would really love that because you cannot have world-class wine without farming world-class fruit. So you're going to get a little insight from Bill Gibbs of G2 Vineyards and Heartstone Vineyards in this chat as well. As I arrive, Elena and her sister, who recently moved to Paso and started working for the brand as well, they were celebrating some really, really good news. They just got picked up by the French Laundry in Napa. Yeah, Top Winery is going to be on the wine list at the French Laundry. That's huge. I'm so thrilled for these folks, but not the least bit surprised. And I hope this conversation shows why and gets you closer to your first bottle or maybe your next bottle of Top Winery. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Cheers. 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 Look at this. This is quite, this is fun because every time I feel I catch up with you guys, Elena, I feel like a lot's gone on. Like, even if it's like, I'll see you at Tyler's or like, it's a couple months I've seen Mm -hmm. you. I feel like you guys are just, the strides that you make are pretty remarkable. Oh, thank you, Adam. Talk about um, feeling blessed. You know, this year you're counting your blessings and for sure we feel like we, we've been hustling. We've been working hard to get to where we're at. Um, We're not where we want to finish, but we can see the trajectory and we're, we're on the right path. <laughs> yeah, I think we all can. Where do you, where do you see yourself? Like, what is like the five-year plan? Yeah, I, I mean, right now, first of all, we want to uh, appreciate where we're at right now. We just got our own facility. So uh, we're off of the 46 and uh, we purchased our winery equipment, have our own tasting room, have our own patio, have brought on um, some, some help. So I brought on my sister earlier this year to help me manage my wine club. She's sitting down on this interview right now. We brought in a dear friend of ours. He helped us in the cellar uh, earlier this year and has just begun to do tastings with us. So, I mean, we feel like the sky's the limit. You know, we're not trying to compete with anyone else. We're just trying to make our own path, set our own standards and and keep ourselves healthy and happy. (laughs) Your story is so unique, but it's also uniquely Paso. You know, I can think of a couple other folks, you know, whether it's like Kunal from LXV, who, you know, was working at Sony in LA and back and forth, or maybe the sure. vines on the Mary Crest. And there's, there's people who have made the hustle. I mean, you guys were driving up and down from LA. What was it about Paso Wine Country? And what was it about wine? Where did wine, yeah. how did wine take you here? You know, we came to Paso Robles as tourists in 2011. 
And we personally fell in love with how quaint this community was in the camaraderie. You can feel it. You know, we, we were wine geeks before we started Top. And so it was almost like when we started it, we knew the hospitality we wanted to deliver. We knew the style of wines that we wanted to make. And so when we came here in 2011 and fell in love with the community, we still didn't know this was going to be our life calling until when my husband took it to another level and he had to learn. <laughs> <laughs> he had to learn. And we ended up coming out here in Paso because, you know, we, we lacked a few um, zeros in our in our bank account. So we had to keep our full-time jobs. It was often where we worked Monday through Thursday in LA and would come out here to work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to make this dream come true. That's why we're appreciative of the entire journey, the people who've helped us along the way. And I don't think we would have been able to do it without this amazing community. Well, we're going to talk about that too, because I know that one kind of theme that always gets brought up in these episodes is that recipe of Paso wine country, and that's the people. Yeah. And how, of course, it's a, it's a world-class place to grow great fruit and make great wine, but that's kind of one of the intangibles of this area and why it's so special. Really the people, huh? I think so. I mean, for us personally, my husband and I, we left a secure occupation. You know, we could have retired with the pension, lived a nice, lavish life. But we took that chance, and it's been the community who's been here for us. And during these unusual times, you know, it's been the community who's called us. How are you guys doing? What can we do for for you? And so us leaving our careers, leaving our family, you know, I'm so close to my sister, so close to my brother, leaving our family behind and not knowing a soul out here. But, you know, just being good to one person leads to two friendship, leads to three friendships. And now, man, we, we don't have a lot of family out here. My sister just moved up, but um, we feel like we have family. Like our friends uh, and growers are all part of our family. <laughs> I love it. Before we get into like the hustle, and the hustle of both you and Stanley is is remarkable. What were some of the wines when you guys were just Paso tourists? Like someone listening to this before their next trip to Paso to taste, you know, perhaps your wine. What were you tasting? What were you into that got the, you know, like the gears turning like, babe, this is what we should like. If we're going to do it, we should do it like this. For sure. You know, I think it was a little combination of um, quite a few producers. Some of the original producers in regards to that really helped put Paso on the map. So, I mean, we were buying, you know, sack them from not their mailing list. We were waiting to get our allocation from our local wine shops. Um, you know, we were super familiar with like Lenny Colado via Creek buying their wines back in LA. So we really admired um, Love and Tour. I, I think I've never gotten starstruck until I had a pour for uh, Stefano Seo and my voice was cracking and my, <laughs> my hands were shaking. You know, and uh, I have seen so many celebrities in LA and it wasn't until like I poured for him I'm like oh my gosh like I'm pouring I kept it cool I was did you play it off well right I I don't know you gotta ask him the next time you see (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean we were big loving tour geeks and fans and so you know our style really is geared off of our years worth of education on, on training our palate you know Stanley often talks about you know he didn't know what he was able to bring to the Paso wine game. And it's not now until it's seven years that we've been hustling that we can say what he was able to bring was a palette. You know, he was such a big wine geek buying wines internationally that we got an education um, on our palate before getting an education in the cellar. And so again, when we crafted our wines, it was all about what do we like? What do we dislike? What are we looking for? What are we trying to achieve? And what do we want to emulate? Balance. Yeah. Exactly. So we borrow a little bit from here, a little bit from there to create our own identity. Top's all about balance in our wine. So hopefully you're noticing that in the lineup that we poured. Well, there's this one, uh, there's this term, Passover restraint. Because we talk about Passover, there's no question. It achieves ripeness. It has no issue doing that. Mm-hmm. But to be able to kind of dial some stuff back and, and hone in on some of the flavor profiles, I think that's what you're talking about talking about that that kind of palette of Stanley's huh 
For sure. Yeah. I mean, like uh, our white wine um, that I poured um, is our Grenache Blanc Axis. We, yeah. <laughs> Primarily grapes from the G2 vineyard. We do have, um, and it's Grenache from the G2 vineyard, and a little bit of Roussan. Uh, you know, we love freshness in our wine. Uh, that's a key indicator that our wines could live long. If everything's in balance, the fruit content, we're, we're very blessed that we're in so we get that fruit content by the by the uh, weather patterns that we have here, but we always try to have freshness and structure and tannins. But where something's not overpowering, but if there's something of a key theme in our wines, it's always freshness. And this Grenache Blanc is no different. High acid, but still has that body, that that d- density, that viscosity, but super light on its feet. So uh, yeah, that's our style, all about balance. I was trying to think when I was driving up here the first time that I met you guys and um, I hate to put it this way but it was a couple fires ago it was uh, Napa had a fire I think in 2017 Mm -hmm. and there was a benefit at Oyster Ridge Barn Mm -hmm. and I think Stanley came up to me and was just like or someone did it was like you gotta try these wines you gotta meet Stanley and then you had him it wasn't even like your event and he just had these wines like back in a bag oh for sure and like just straight like here try these wines try this raw and the wines like I'm sure everybody who first tries your wines are like oh damn like you just you just like what like that's really really good what do you think attributed to this quick rise with you guys because this is not an easy business it's not easy but you know what we don't take shortcuts the one thing that we knew is that we needed to invest in quality fruit right Stanley is well aware he cannot make great wines if he does not have access to great fruit. And it was a journey for us. Our first two years getting access to great fruit, man, we got so many no's because our area code was still 818. We still lived in Studio City. We didn't have a pedigree in, in, in you know, we didn't work in someone's cellar for X amount of years. We didn't uh, study enology at UC Davis. We really had to just Did that ever intimidate call. Stanley? <laughs> I don't think so. Not at all. No, no. If not, I think he considers it a blessing. Like he's like, the less I know, the better, because then I don't correct things. It's like if you just are preventative, you know, you take good care of. Don't get in the way. Don't get in the way. Just guide it. So he's all about guiding. And so uh, nothing intimidates Stanley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's uh, Bill Gibbs, which is so cool that he's here. He's got G2 Vineyards, mm-hmm. which is one of the, um, you know, very much acclaimed vineyards in Paso. I mean, I think the first time I tasted your fruit was probably from Saxum and Turtle Rock. I mean, G2 gets his vineyard designated on a lot of really, really great brands that have really put Paso on the map, you know, in a world-class way. When you first ran into, I mean, because, you know, it's not the first time you've seen a brand have the G2 name on it. You're, you're no stranger to this, Bill. But what was your first impression when you had your first moment trying the wines of Top? What year was it, Stanley? Garage East Festival. Oh, sure. I remember that. Yes, 2016. 2016. Okay, the 2016 Friday night Garage East Festival, the, the pre-sampling, because I started this whole life as a wino, a, a wine hobbyist. Like they did. Very much so. But at this point, I was already growing grapes, but I would go to these Garage East festivals looking for someone to get excited about because I'm blessed. My second career in grapes started with selling, as you mentioned, grapes to Saxum. I have the option to chase the people I want to sell grapes to. And I have the option to look for people who are going to make wines that will make my grapes look good. So I would go to these Garage East festivals looking for someone who would stand out. You're scouting. I was scouting. I <laughs> you was were recruiting. I, I was very definitely selfish. And Smart. I, and my buddy and I went through this whole range of the Friday night pre-tastings. And I said, Don, that was my friend Don, good friend Don. I said, only one of these wines jumped out at me. That top wine was delicious. <laughs> and we went over and we introduced ourselves to, to uh, Elena and... Uh, said, how do we get more of your, your wines? That was my first selfish thought was... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Ensuring, ensuring a source of these wines right. before it became totally sold out as they are today. And then the very next thing was, well, maybe you need grapes. Now, I've never had grapes for sale, but that year we had extra Grenache Blanc. And... Stanley stepped up and said, I could take a ton or two of Grenache Blanc. So that made him a customer. Now, the next year, any grapes that become available go to our customers first. 
I go, Stanley, you're a customer. You bought a ton last year. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you thinking? What, what are you thinking? So now we've got some Grenache available, and we've got some Syrah available that customers shift. Customers you wanted to open up more plans. of your palate to him, more of your kind of I portfolio. I wanted to get him more involved. Yeah. Um, because I really appreciated his wines, and I thought the association would help me. The fact that it helps him is nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want to undercut. I mean, you got some great fruit. So what were you guys thinking? What were you and Stanley thinking, Elena, well, when Juju comes up and is like, you know, let's talk? First of all, I'm from L.A. I don't know who anyone is. Sure. I, I know names, but I don't know how people look. And so I treated Bill just like I would treat anyone, which is like family. You know, your assumption is you try to corrupt that one human being so they corrupt all the other human beings. I remember Bill coming back with a little wine club form. And he's like, I'm joining your club. And I was like, thank you, Bill. Welcome to the family. But I didn't know who he was until I gave the little form to my husband. And my husband's like, do you know who that dude is? I was like... Yes, he is our newest member. <laughs> That's a great Stanley, story. Stanley was like, that is like Mr. Gibbs from, you know, the Hearthstone and G2 Vineyard. Yeah. I was like, well, I've done your job. I got his cell phone number. You got his email. Like, let's make this happen. And so we were blessed and fortunate that uh, we made it happen shortly after that. Well, there's a, there's a cute short story that goes with this. Shortly after Stanley began buying some Grenache Blanc from us, he sends me these pictures and this text message that says he and Elena are having this lovely lunch mm-hmm. on top of my hill in my vineyard, <laughs> looking at this block of Syrah, the most stressed and the most challenged Syrah in G2. And he goes, Bill, someday this will be mine. I don't care who gets it today. I don't care what it takes. I want this block of grapes, this specific block of grapes. You know, a year goes by, things change, that block of grapes become available. No way. (laughs) (laughs) I call up Stanley. Stanley, this is odd, but uh, you know that wish you made last year? We can make it happen. You can have that block of Syrah. The best Syrah from my property is available and no one needs any more Syrah. Would you like to take it? And he did. Wow. And what year was this? What was the first year that we 18. pulled from that? It must have oh, been 18. 18. So, Which is what we're drinking in the uh, inertia no that way. gave them. Uh, so it was one acre. Um, I think it's block nine um, uh, of that beautiful G2 Syrah that we got. And 18 was a fantastic vintage. So it really was. Super excited for those. Where ones. does the name G2 come from? Uh, the short story is my first career gave me the opportunity to buy more property after Hearthstone which I bought to sell grapes to Saxon. And I called up Justin and I said, Justin, I have some money I need to invest. Is there another vineyard for sale? We drove around and looked at all the vineyards. He picked G2. And the company that sold it to me didn't have a name, so we had to pick a new name. And we went through all sorts of names, and that was the one Justin liked because I'm very much his slave. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Gibbs, G2 Vineyards, we were just showing up in Stanley and Bill... What were you guys talking about? What was your meeting about? Can you tell me? We have, a, we have an end of harvest meeting where we review how the harvest went, how the year went, mm-hmm. and we finalize our pricing. Okay. Our pricing model is an acre pricing model, but not flat acre pricing. It's acre pricing with high caps and low caps. And then if, it, if the yield falls below the low cap, we sit down and discuss where the responsibility lies. How much of that were his farming choices? How much of that were the sure. nature's effects? As we're like... Contract negotiations, like, hey, if I bring you a 98 next year, I want, I want, <laughs> Stanley, I'm telling you, I'll be your manager, man. If I bring you a 98 or above, you give me, I don't know. <laughs> the problem is I don't do paper contracts. Right. You're old school, Paso. Well, I wish, but I had enough contracts in my first career, and I only want to deal with people I trust. Yeah. I only want to deal with people who are good people and make good wine. Yeah. And I haven't had a problem in 10 years. So it's, it's working out fine. There are a lot of good people to do business with. Sure. They trust me. I trust them. And our custom farming model is a, a, a fun one. 
mm-hmm. all organic, all very careful. Everybody should go out and watch Kiss the Ground, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, talks me, about what we need to do. Yeah, well, this has been really fun. I'm so glad that you were here by chance, Bill. This is really cool. Fading into the background now. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Gibbs, G2 Vineyards. It's got to be cool to hear someone, you know, a grower, a popular grower like that, speak so highly of this brand's wines at such an early stage in the brand. I think it's humbling, but then it also bears a responsibility, right? We're primarily focusing on Rhones. I think they grow beautifully in Paso Robles. I think, you know, Paso Robles would help put us on the map as those gorgeous Rhones. We could make world-class Rhones, and that's really our specialty. So for Stanley and I, Stanley's worked so hard on crafting an incredible product, a product that makes both him and I happy. And so we have a responsibility on, on, on delivering the highest standards. We have a, a responsibility on, on being good people and being good to the community. And so it's flattering, absolutely, but it also comes with a responsibility, you know? Yeah. You got to step up to the plate. And hopefully, you know, when we're uh, past and old and what have you, uh, if, if anyone does leave a legacy, behind it's that we were good people we tried our best and we made some decent good wine <laughs> absolutely so give me that sound we'll get by we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees it will simplify good company much thanks to elena she's so artful and deliberate the way she puts things. I just love the chemistry and the dichotomy in both she and Stanley, what their unique talents are and what they bring to the table for this brand. It's really cool. So from being in the game a few years to being in the game a few decades, Justin has been a brand making a name not only for itself, but for Paso since 1981. In the 90s, it made some incredible strides in its winemaking and its global and national reception. Justin's helped make Paso cool. He's helped make blends cool, like their isosceles, Whew. and to this day is still making Paso known and appreciated around the globe. Well, the brand was acquired several years ago by the company who owns Fiji Water, but to get the real lowdown, I wanted to talk to Justin himself. Although he doesn't sign the checks anymore, or for that matter, have any of the stress that goes along with it, he is still an ambassador for Justin and literally travels the whole globe to not only share the wines of Justin, but the story of Paso. So I'm on a little mini staycation myself. We booked one night at the Justin. See what they did there in two ends, the Justin. They have some incredible accommodations there. I highly recommend to truly get away, but still feel like you're being taken care of with like A plus hospitality and the restaurant. Stop it. For fine dining, I don't know you're going to find a better restaurant or cuisine in San Luis Obispo County. The chef, Rachel Hagstrom, I mean, she's incredible. The pastry chef, Sri Music, I mean, unreal what this team can put together as far as cuisine. So I'm staying the night, and I find out Justin is in town for one day for some video shoots that they're doing. And he agrees to sit down with me. It's funny because it's the only time we're literally going to be neighbors. I leave my room, I come over to his room next door, and we kick it on his balcony. We are surrounded 360 degrees by not only storybook, picturesque, rolling vineyards, but a vibrant enterprise that he created on these very grounds almost 40 years ago. Cheers. Look at this. Yeah. Wow. It's a pretty beautiful day. I'm sitting at Justin, hanging with Justin. You got to let me just soak that in for a second. We're glad you're here. <laughs> glad you're here, Adam. It's been a long time since, uh, since we've uh, hung out on the air, and this is one of my favorite places to come out because it is quite a, uh, it's quite a drive. It's, it's a trek. It's a trek. It's a pilgrimage. You know, one thing I was thinking of as I was making the drive up here, I was like, imagine all the times that Justin drove this road, say from the freeway, and in the 80s, in the 90s, early 2000s, when you might not have even passed three wineries. 
in the 80s. Maybe not even one. <laughs> Zero wine. <Yeah. laughs> Zero wineries coming out here. I was interested today. I was coming out today, and I was passed going the opposite direction by a convoy of trucks. And I was with some, some people, and they said, yeah, I wonder where they're going. I said, that's where they're coming from. <laughs> I reminded of the old limestone quarry at the end of the road just a couple miles down from here. And to this day, that's the majority of the traffic are these limestone trucks going back and forth in caravans to take crushed limestone to the Central Valley to make various types of fertilizer, cement, glass, things of that sort. That, that was my only company for maybe the first 10 years with those trucks going and coming. Now, is it a trip to be sitting here on this balcony at the Just Inn? We're at the, uh, the accommodations, which are luxurious to say the least. It is so beautiful here, and you're nestled amongst your estate vineyards. Is it, is it a trip to see all this and, be like, and then think about all this, this past that we, we speak of? Well, what's fun about it is to know that it's being shared literally around the world. For example, where we're sitting right now, on the back of uh, Tra- County Grass Travelers Magazine every month, there's a Guess Where You Are contest every year. This was the contest once about, oh my gosh, 25 years or so ago. And very few people, I don't think anybody guessed where it was because it was so so far off the beaten path. But today, you know, we're getting 100,000 visitors a year out here, 15 miles at the end of a dead-end road, dead ends at the limestone quarry. Yeah, that, that feels good. That feels good. What were these first years like? And first of all, why did you choose this earth, this specific earth, you know, in the early 80s? Well, I'm sorry that your listeners can't see where we are, because one of my answers to that is the stunning beauty of the area very much interested me. And that that had a lot to do with it because I came here 40 years ago, 1981. There was nothing out here whatsoever. And I had no intention whatsoever of quitting my day job at the bank. I was in the banking world for a number of years, lived and worked all over the world. I wanted to get away from it all and have a place to kind of just kick back. And that's what this gave me that opportunity. In addition to that, the viticultural reasons, the soil, the limestone soils that we enjoy here, the elevations, which again, your listeners can't see the elevation. You're seated right here at 1,300 feet above sea level. I always ask people when I do these wine dinners, which I do 100 times a year around the world, how high do you think the city limits of Napa is above San Francisco Bay? And they're stunned to know that it's 17 feet. Or what's the highest elevation of Bordeaux? You ready? 59 feet. So you're at 1,300 feet behind me up in the hillsides up here. We go close to 2,000 feet in elevation. That, that draw, drew me here and continues to draw many others here. And lastly, although you don't see any water as we look out here today, there's water in these soils that the limestone absorbs and gives back. So I had these growing conditions. I had hillsides where the topsoils are eroded off, exposing that limestone. And enough water to get things started, but not so much that I would go crazy and over-irrigate, because I, obviously I did not want to do that. So I guess the physical beauty of it, the viticultural reasons, and then on a personal note, it was halfway between where I grew up in San Francisco and where I was living and working in those days, Los Angeles. We're smack dab in the middle. That's perfect. Absolutely, right in the middle. What was the journey and that road like in the beginning? Because you guys are really instrumental. One of the few brands at that time for getting Paso recognized in a broader, in a broader sense. I think the road was paved then and now with the first and foremost quality. More than anything else, we wanted to produce wines that you would be proud to, to represent. Uh, in addition to quality, affordability. Uh, that relationship between the both price and, and quality I thought was important to me. As you know today, even if I look compared to North Coast or our, my biggest competitor in Bordeaux, land prices are a bargain here. And so that reflects a lot in the, the price points of the wine. So that price point helped a lot. But I think more than anything else, it was a relentless devotion to, to marketing. First and foremost, marketing was in my blood. It was something that I really enjoyed. I continue to this day to enjoy it. And most of my time is spent doing that. Uh, we we marketed not only the wines, but the winery itself. And of course, the incredible attributes that the area has to offer. So that kept on a relentless basis for many, many years. And then voila, overnight, you're a sensation after 25 years. <laughs> overnight sensation that took 25 years. One of the things you guys are most known for is the Bordeaux blend. Um, 
This is something, you know, everybody's, but they're drinking Cab, maybe they're drinking Chardonnay, maybe they're drinking White Zin, whatever. But we started taking wines using um, the ability to grow so many types of varieties here. You're blending them. Where did you kind of go, you know, let's blend these up. Let's sell the idea. Here's another marketing thing. Let's market the blend itself. Well, started off is because I've always had and continue to have an infatuation with red Bordeaux blends. I love those wines. They appeal to me primarily because of their food-friendly attributes, uh, not their price points. So, of course, 40 years ago, they were giving them away compared to where we are today. But that style of wine appealed to me, number one. Number two, the fact that those were blends, and I personally, having little, well, in those days, no winemaking experience, could sort of work with nature and play off the different attributes that the different varietals um, offered to me. And back in the 80s, and even well into the 90s, there wasn't even a category of red blended wines that didn't exist. I and a number of other people started an organization called the Meritage Association, which existed, it looked like, to sort of classify red blended, or white for that matter, blended wines. But in all sincerity, I think, in all honesty, it existed because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how much Merlot to add to the Cabernet Sauvignon or what toast levels the barrel should use. Oh, gosh. There's so many different things that come into play, maceration schedules, yeast cultures, blah, blah, blah. We'd sit down and we would you know, pass around what I, my experiences and Bob Mondavi or Joe Phelps or people like that. They were all North Coast. I was the only member uh, not in, in the North Coast. So that category didn't exist. But in my mind, it was something that I wanted to do, and I was hell-bent to do it. And now, until last year, it's now it's number two, but it was the number one wine category in the United States for blended red wine. So now it's, it's slipped to number two. You don't really hear the word meritage anymore too much, do you? No. And, in fact, you see, you said it yourself, meritage. We coined the word meritage. Okay. Because we wanted it to be a heritage, and we wanted oh, okay, an American okay. or an English Anglo sure. name for it. But it was immediately hijacked. Uh-huh. It became French and meritage. Yes. It was meritage. <laughs> meritage. I love that. That's a little known fact here. Mm-hmm. Straight from Justin. And then comes the isosceles. I want to say, is it maybe 87? What was your first year of isosceles? Well, I started making isosceles, although I didn't call it that, in 1985. Okay. Uh, very early on. The first commercial release was in 1987. Okay, so it was 87, right, all right. 87 was the first wow. commercial release, yeah. Right. I, it took a couple of vintages, frankly. I mean, but first of all, I planted the grapes in 81. And so until we got to like the third or fourth leaf, there wasn't, there was nothing to harvest. And in those days, I couldn't go down the street and buy from Farmer Bob because Farmer Bob didn't exist. There were no, there were no other vineyards other than what people needed for their very, their very own use. So it was a little bit of experimentation on um, barrel regime, as I said, things like yeast cultures and blends. Um, after a couple of minutes, I felt comfortable enough that I was going to do it commercially. And then we started in 87. That's what we did. Now, when in the journey for you does isosceles become that kind of home run? I mean, it was one of the first blends I tasted and was like, wow, this is like a high-end wine. I'm into this. It's, it's Paso. It's a blend. When did you realize isosceles was really going to be an animal of its own? Well, we started off right out the gate with the 87 at L.A. County Fair. We were the Grand Sweepstakes Award winner, which is like, oh, my gosh. So uh, Robert Balzar, who in those days was the wine editor for the L.A. Times, called me up and said, this is something unique that's just different. Who are you? Where did you learn this? What are you doing? That was probably the first clue when, in fact, when he called me, I remember, I thought somebody was putting me on. I couldn't believe the wine editor would call me. The same year, uh, Steve Wallace at Wally's in West L.A., was a judge at the L.A. County Fair and judged uh, isosceles and never, as I said, the Grand Sweepstakes Award. And he said, I want to represent your wine. That was another sort of aha moment. The same year, a guy named Tony Trollato in Chicago, who is famous in the wine world, uh, unfortunately passed away in the last three or four months. He called and he said, I've been reading about this. I've had a bottle of it. I want to represent you. He was an icon in the world. So that, that sort of tipped it off. Early 90s, when Robert Parker started writing about me, I think what really cemented it was in 94, when in London, we won the Pichon Lalande Trophy for World's Best Blended Red Wine, judged by some of the best-known masters of wine, you know, Janice Robinson and um, pe- people like Serena Sutcliffe and people like that who were like, oh my God, that's, if these people are saying that, then 
Maybe we have something. I should quit my day job. There you go, right? <laughs> What's become the flagship, right, of the portfolio right now? It is. And initially, I called it Justin Reserve. Uh, my wholesalers came to me and suggested, more than persuaded me, that I needed a name like the others that were out there, Phelps and Signor, uh, Mondavi, of, of course, with his icon, with Opus, and all the others that had come along at that stage of the game. And I struggled with finding a name, quite frankly, that I could trademark that had three in it. I wanted something with three so because it's a celebration of Cab, Cab Franc, and Merlot, but I couldn't get it trademarked. I tried and failed with Triumph, Trois, Trace, Three, Tricycle, I, all of <laughs> it. name it, I yeah. tried. And I, for some reason, remembered in high school geometry, and I saw these triangle, and I thought, well, I wonder if you could trademark that. Called up my trademark attorney, and he said, if you want to, you could do it. So, voila. Isosceles was born. I couldn't spell it. Yeah. (laughs) I just learned to it as I was making my notes. Uh, Siri had to correct me. It's such a special wine, though. It's so smooth. It's so sexy. And it is such a great calling card and has been for decades for Paso. Well, it has. It's uh, earned its share of accolades in the, in the wine world. It, uh, I, I like to think that I helped. Uh, I, I'm just one of many. Get uh, Passerable to where we are today and enjoy the notoriety and the, the acknowledged quality that all of us are, are producing here. You know, somebody has to go first or be a pioneer in the early days, and um, I, I guess I didn't know enough not to be one. So I love that. Uh, Paso is in overdrive right now. What do you think Justin's role in that is? We know that, you know, as a pioneer, we, we hear some of these stories you were just telling us. I know in the last several years, you've popped up a, a tasting room downtown. Um, of course, we've evolved in the last decade with the inn. I mean, you just look over, you see people eating, you know, five-star cuisine. They're enjoying the day. First, talk about that, what it's like to see that. And then where does, where does Justin fit in, uh, in its leadership of this new time? The well, first time I came to Paso was late 70s, early 80s. I uh, met Stan Hoffman, uh, who was, for me, the godfather of wine here. He convinced me that there were viticultural reasons for being here. Uh, from a marketing perspective, he convinced me he was doing something right because he had, a, um, uh, I think, 30,000 case production back in those days, which is wow. unheard of. Uh, in the 80s to have a Paso Robles wine with that, almost anywhere for that matter. And this is Stan Hoffman, Hoffman Mountain Ranch, HMR, HMR, HMR. of course yes. Andre Chelichev, planting on his stuff. I mean, he is a legend here. Absolutely. So I met him through friends and that, that sort of convinced me. Um, I I tell everybody, there were only 8,000 people living in Paso Robles then. I mean, today we're at 30,000 still. But there wasn't even a McDonald's <laughs> in the, the early 80s. So when I come back today and I see the incredible array of restaurants and accommodations and the businesses and just across the board, the vibrancy of the, of that city, uh, our little hamlet, I'm, I'm humbled. I, I, I love it. I, I can't believe that's the same place. You asked what my role is, and especially going forward. I've for a long time been sort of ambassador, uh, mascot, whatever you want to call it, of Justin. I know for a fact that I travel more than anybody else here in the Appalachian representing the wine. And last year I did wine dinners in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Cape Town, London, New York, all over the Caribbean. You, you name it, I've been there. I'm, I'm doing them. And I love being a representative of our area. And that's what I see myself continuing to do. I love the area. I like being an ambassador for Justin. But first and foremost, I'm an ambassador for Paso Robles. That's pretty cool. We've talked to like Gary Eberly in the first couple episodes of this podcast, and he would say if Paso doesn't succeed, Eberly's not going to succeed. Correct. Now, remember, you can only have that role that Gary and I have by being old. <laughs> it's pretty special. I mean, he's, uh, you know, around the same time you landed here, and of course, he's on the east side. We're here on the west side of Paso. Talk about your journey a little bit, because I don't know how many years ago the brand was acquired, and that enables you to, to be a little bit more free. Uh, of course, maybe the, the vision of the company isn't your responsibility anymore, but now you, I mean, you are still, you are always going to be Justin of Justin. I, my, my name's in every bottle, I'm yeah. told, uh, and the bottles are in 26 countries around the world, and Continuing to, to do well, continue to offer that quality value ratio that I mentioned earlier, that proposition, which is, I think, very key to our success and for that matter, for a lot of wineries from uh, Paso Robles. Uh, on the wine side of things, my role is primarily uh, in the blending. 
because I've been doing this for 35 plus years, I'm fortunate to continue on our little blending panel when we're putting together not only blends of different varietals we have before us here this afternoon, for example, two wines that are blends and one single varietal. That single varietal, which is Cabernet Sauvignon, is sourced from multiple vineyards, different oak regimes, etc. So that's mostly where I, I focus my wine making side of things. The truth be told, I fired myself as a winemaker almost 20 years ago. I, I, I stopped doing that. We have real winemakers now uh, on, on the team doing that. So mostly what I'm doing is ambassadorial, and that's a lot. We, Justin has, by virtue of our relationship with our, our owners, the Fiji Water Company, we have over 100 people out in the field on a day-to-day basis offering not only Fiji Water but Justin Wine to basically the same accounts through the same distribution channels. So our wholesaler, whether it's in New Orleans or Detroit or wherever it might be, offers both the wine and the water. So I spend a lot of time with those wholesalers, with the sales team, and of course with our wine club members and our followers around the world, whether I'm doing wine dinners or trainings or seminars or you name it. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> and now know, it's all yeah. virtual. I know. How, how have you kind of pivoted with all this? You like this? You like not traveling as much? I mean, it's got to be fun to see the world the way you have. Uh, I, I definitely miss traveling, actual traveling. I, I would be misinforming you, to put it politely, <laughs> that I didn't miss it. And I can't wait to get back out there again, to be honest with you. But we've pivoted, as you say, uh, very nicely to a, a virtual world. We've got some incredible people on our team that do a, a great job. I saw you interviewing Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo, yes, yeah, I've, I've, uh, that's been part of my, my Carmelo Anthony, uh, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice. Do you have just these numbers in your cell phone? You just got Carmelo's number, just like in your phone. I had it. But, uh, <laughs> that's so I've cool. Sworn to secrecy, right? Yeah, that, that's those are examples. I mean, it's interesting. You find out there's different layers and levels of interest that people have, and there's different people that you would never suspect. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is very much into wine. The whole NBA, for that matter, is big. You know, LeBron is like the king of wine guys in, in the NBA. So you're doing things like that, or you're talking to Jerry Rice and others in various walks of life. I, I never would have done that before. So I, I appreciate that, and this virtual presentation and outreach is is wonderful. We just released, in fact, today, a series uh, of seminars called Crush It with Justin. If you go online, you can find it, Facebook, uh, YouTube, wherever. It's on every medium you can think of. Those were fun doing that, and we're going to reach out to even more people like that. It's not as interactive, but it's a, d- a different virtual type of presentation. So, And the production uh, value on this is pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, it's it's fun. It's It's been fun, and we're, we're reaching whole new audiences and continuing to to, to get out there virtually. You have a strong sweater game. Almost like right next to Mr. Rogers, you rock a sweater like nobody's business. What is your sweater situation in, in the closet? Or how are they organized? You got a bunch of them in there or what? This is a serious question. It is, of course. Yeah, I like you. You rock sweaters. Well, um, you know, for half the year now, I live in Portland, Oregon, so I, I have no choice. I've got, I've got to rock that sweater for six months out of the year. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, always in, in, I want to be warm for sp- starters, but if you're going to do something, you want to do it right and <laughs> do it with style, a little panache. And I travel a lot, so I seem to end up and gravitate towards men's haberdasheries that uh, offer different types of sweaters. So my, my closet, you're giving me more credit, I think, uh, than is due. It's, it's not that organized. Folded or hung up? Oh, folded. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to hang a sweater. I guess you're right, because you don't want to stretch out the sweater. neck. Yeah, you don't yeah. Do that. Is that one cashmere? That looks nice. That looks cozy. Yes, it is. Very yeah, good. Yeah. You know, your uh, wines, you have a lot of names here. Of course, your single varieties like the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, but the Justification, the Isosceles. I remember in my conversation with Jason Haas, we had a lot of fun pairing some of their most popular wines with perhaps everyday occurrences. So it, it, let's say you were getting... Uh, Engaged. What one of your wines would you pair with an engagement scenario? I think it would depend upon to whom I was being engaged. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd like to think that I would take into consideration their taste profile and what they enjoy. But I can think of no more fitting wine than an isosceles because I think it brings together via a marriage of the different grape varietals and the flavor components, etc., that come together in making a classic 
left bank Bordeaux blend. So if it's engagement, it's isosceles. Okay, let's say you just get a negative COVID test. What do you pair with that great moment? Oh, uh, for me? Yeah. Probably uh, a wine we make called Trilateral. Okay. Which is a GSM, or actually more appropriately, an SGM blend. It's more heavy on the, on the Syrah side of, of, of things. Big, broody, celebratory style of wine for me. That's, that's a big by-the-glass wine. Uh, whereas a lot of Justin wines are purposely made to be an accompaniment to dining, to add to dining pleasure, not overpower or take away. So a negative COVID test, yeah, I, I go for either that or maybe a savant, which is a mostly Syrah, Cab, sort of Aussie-style blend. That, 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 that would go. That's a good call, too, because I do like your savant. Okay, what do you pair with when you sell your winery for north of $100 million? What do you pair with that night? <laughs> Uh, Krug champagne. There you go. <laughs> I love Blanc it. Blanc de Blanc. So this has been a lot of fun. I really, really thank you for having me and uh, opening up. I mean, we're literally, I know you're you're living out of Portland now, and so you're here just for a little bit of time. I think you're at the property for 24 hours, and you fit me in here. We're on your balcony. Like, this is really special. Uh, thank you very much for having me, for sure. My pleasure, Adam. Any any time you come back again, or I'll come and meet you. I love we can it. come and meet each other again. Do you miss the Chateau? Oh, the house? Yeah. I, I call it, and people call it the chateau. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of bougie. Yeah, the house. I, I mean, that do, was your house. I do miss it. I will share with you and your listeners, though, it's pretty lonely out here. If you're staying here tonight, as am I. You know there will be less than 100 people in 100 square miles here tonight after the sun goes down. That's it. Day after day after day. And so my outreach, I guess, for that was limited to either whether I was here in the tasting room with or the, the restaurant or on the road. So I'm, I miss being in the house and being there, but I enjoy having the freedom to, did have the freedom to travel around a lot more and share what's been my life's passion with so many people around the world. Well, thank you for um, this beautiful isosceles. I love it. The beautiful spread and these views and for really for what you've done for Paso. Thank you so much for, for having me and for sharing with me where wine takes you. My pleasure. We're all in this together. I couldn't be more proud of my fellow Mintners and the job that they're doing. Couldn't be more proud to be from Paso Robles and be another smiling face out there on the, the preaching circuit talking about the virtues of this incredible appellation. So thank you. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. My thanks to Justin Baldwin, busy dude, and out of all the wine press he gets, I bet I was the only one to ever get the lowdown on how tight he keeps that sweater game. I swear, remember, fold, don't hang him up. Best advice I got all day. Well, I'm excited to not only put a wrap on 2020, but see what 2021 has in store for Paso and for this podcast. We have a lot of fun ideas, and I hope you're around for the ride. Please take a second to reach out. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find me, say, on Instagram, at Adam on the Air, and follow along. Ask a question. I'd love to gather some and read them here. Or you can also go to PasoWine.com. PasoWine.com is a must-check resource when you are planning your next visit to Paso, whether it's to Top Winery, the Justin, or anywhere else. PasoWine.com, they got you covered. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. It is the fastest-growing wine podcast in the nation now, and that is because of you. So truly, thank you. Where Wine Takes You recorded, edited, produced, and hosted by me, your new wine BFF, Adam Montiel. Next time you're hanging around the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, is on Coast 104.5. And the wine stuff, you'll find it on The Crush 92.5. But we are wrapping up the year soon. I can't wait to share some of the stuff we're planning for 2021 and how we want to end 2020 in the next episode. So make sure you come back. Let's hang again and see where wine takes you. And give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good company. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is 
camped out in the trees You will simplify in good company With that moonshine we'll get by We can pass on round till the job is dry Camped out in the trees You will simplify in good company, good company.